Welcome to Everyday Driver, where cars are more than just transportation. They're freedom, a common ground, a way to grow, and can even make life better. We're here to help everyone find a car they love and discover all the ways cars connect us. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is The Car Debate. Welcome back to the podcast. We try to cover news items when they're relevant to us and to you guys, and sometimes there's not much news. And some weeks there's piles of it. <laughs> All of a sudden, down we're back it, in yeah. we're back in the studio. We're glad to be back in the studio talking with you guys again. But since we spoke the last time, all kinds of news has happened. We've actually driven another press car, which was the uh, new ver- a new version of the Rav. We've driven almost all the Rav fours now. They're still sending us Rav fours. <laughs> there's nine flavors of the Rav. They're still sending us Rav fours. We've driven the Prime <laughs> recently. We also are going to talk about a couple of big bits of news. And there's there's car debates and there's questions. It's a huge podcast. Get ready. It really is. Well, UK has announced they are banning the sale of internal combustion engine cars beginning in 2030. That is 10 years from this year when this has been recorded. Mm-hmm. That is specifically cars and light goods vehicles powered mm-hmm. by gasoline or diesel. Initially, this whole mandate was focused on 2040, but it has been moved up an entire decade. So that's 10 years from now. And the goal is to achieve a net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. What's interesting, though, is just reading a little bit about it is mm-hmm. it's supported by an initial $3.7 of public funding to grow the electric charging network. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's additional money allocated to develop hydrogen production and make homes more energy efficient and also plant trees, 74,131 acres. I did the math. Wow. Bravo. Okay. So a lot going on. Yes. And it's affecting, of course, you know. Journalists worldwide, but journalists especially in the UK. That has been a big talking point for journalists in the UK this week because they've all kind of gone, I'm sorry, excuse me, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. And and various responses to it. I mean, I've seen all kinds of people responding about it. There is a lot here. There is a lot here that could quickly get political, which we don't do on this show. So I want to be careful in that regard. I I do have a couple of questions. Okay. Uh, First off, we're in that season in our country and other countries where – Governments are about to change, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah, and so people are doing things to have their grand gestures. You mean to put the flourish on whatever that is yes. from a career standpoint? This feels like a grand gesture thing to me, moving mm-hmm. it up a decade, because in that same uh-huh. decade, there will be enough government changeover that it could get changed again. Sure. It, now, yeah, so, yeah. so that's one thing about it. That, that, and and I'm, I mean this, this is just politics in general. When folks are on their way out, they do the big like, you know, explosion behind me. I don't even look back thing in po- politics. And then somebody else comes in and cleans up and changes like stuff. Like Heath Ledger in, as the Joker exactly. in Batman. Exactly. So, 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 this, so sure. this is one possibility. The other thing going on here is maybe, maybe – this mandate solves the problem I'm talking about because everybody's required. But right now, in the UK, less than 2% of sales are electric cars. Mm. And there isn't the charging infrastructure to handle this amount of change. That's been the biggest thing you and I have talked about. In any country, it's been charging infrastructure. Yes, yes it's, it's the and biggest hurdle. At this point, Tesla's got the largest one mm-hmm. among the largest one. There are a few. And as a matter of fact, Electrify America is owned wholly by Volkswagen of America as part of the mm. settlement process. From the apology the word, tour. You remember that diesel word, mm. that, that whole what, word? What word? I've never heard I those syllables together. Forget it already. So they have you know done that. So there's – it is growing by private industry, but it's interesting that everybody's sort of still kind of watching what everybody else does to get to that point, mm-hmm. to the, mm-hmm. the infrastructure point, because that's what we enjoy with gas stations. And, and the key thing also here is let's not get beyond what the headline feels like, because the headline feels like it'll only be electric cars on UK roads. No, it'll mean that starting in 2030, you can only buy a new car Correct. that is electric. New sales. All of the older cars sold up until 2029 can be gasoline cars. Right. Right. So it's not like there's That's an what instant I changeover. Well. Yeah. So I, there, there's this feels much more like a governmental grand gesture than a reality. Mm. But we still should talk about it as a possible reality because my question is tiny amount of sales right now on electric cars. Granted, if you're buying a car in 2030 in the UK and this does go through, there's a 100% chance you'll buy an electric car. But right now it's <laughs> it's like 2%. And the infrastructure and all of that kind of stuff isn't huge. And I'll go – I just now thought of this. UK is right-hand drive. One of what? Two countries? Three, maybe more, more than that. There's a, there's a handful around the world. But my point is it's a tiny percentage. Sure. Okay? So now you're talking about a country that needs, if you will, specialized built cars. 
wants all the electric manufacturers to really focus on them. I don't know that this is as real as the headline suggests, but I'm quite curious to see what the next decade brings because it was the the talk of UK journalists this week, car right. journalists, for obvious reasons. Right. Interesting. I still think we're in this – golden age is the wrong word because golden age – well, maybe it is. I don't know. I keep thinking that we're – in this time of enjoying some of the most powerful gasoline engine cars we've ever seen combined mm -hmm. with hybrids mm -hmm. and other electric cars that are just as powerful or more with mm -hmm. more electric horsepower. And then every car company still trying to figure out what that means for the future. But ultimately what it's doing is pushing innovation, which mm -hmm. I like. I, I agree and with that. this time. Every car manufacturers has been kicked in the teeth by Tesla mm -hmm. And it's pushing them to respond in different ways. I still wonder what Dodge is going to do as a brand. Separate problem. That's yes, separate I agree. Podcast yeah, yeah. Episode. Yeah, it's a whole, but it's still be a long debate. We keep yeah. touching on this. Mm -hmm. We brought it up two podcasts ago and we still keep bringing it up. Like, yeah, Dodge. so Dodge, <laughs> there's a lot of Dodge product in the room. What, well, yeah, what are the, we doing next? the elephant motor while you're there. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. On the other hand, yeah, it's just, it's so very interesting. And I like that all this is going on in the car industry mm -hmm. because I feel like the center point of everything that's going on. Everybody loves cars, loves driving. Mm -hmm. Most people have a relationship with a car. Whether you love them or hate them, you got, you've ridden you've got in a, a car. connection to it. Yeah. You don't yeah, like yeah, cars, yeah. but Even you've probably like ridden them, yeah. in one or you'd love cars and you drive them and mm -hmm. you know, you're an enthusiast, whatever that is. It's so interesting to be in this world as far as change is concerned. It's very I interesting. Mean, the, the gasoline motor is more efficient and more powerful than it's ever been. Mm -hmm. So I, I, to your point, I like the range of stuff going on. I don't – Yeah. Look, yeah. I'll, I'll go the other extreme. I don't want all internal combustion engine cars any more than I want all electric cars. Right, right. I, I think the, the cornucopia of it, if you will, is what's interesting. I almost choked on my I water. I just used that in a real sentence. I did. You did. A and that leads me actually very nicely to the RAV4 Prime. Indeed. Which is all – if you want to know what the technology is, it's all of them. It's all the technology. You can run it's it on just electric. <laughs> you can run it on hybrid. You can run it on gas. It is all the technologies in one RAV4 shape because it's one of the 45 – I mean nine versions of that car they sell. Look, we've driven the RAV4 twice now and done a couple of reviews on it. I've never liked RAV4s until this generation. They've done pretty well with it, yeah. They're too cute. And I don't like it when people car my, call my cars cute. Yeah. And here is this car now, this SUV, that if it had existed when I moved to Utah and bought my Jeep Grand Cherokee, this would have been a viable contender because it's about the same price yeah. and it has a rugged look to it. And it does a lot and yeah. it has about the same amount of space and it's grown and it's useful. And this is awesome. Mm -hmm. I really like it. So the one we had was the 21 Prime XSE flavor of the RAV4. And Venture Ever Sun on Instagram says, has the price for this trim level gone above $45,000? Maybe. Yeah. It's yeah, it $49,461. It's a $50,000 RAV4, which is a lot <laughs> of money. That's a lot. Hybrid technology is still expensive. And at it, this but point. it also will run full electric. We've had the hybrid before, which was essentially, think of it just exactly like a Prius. Yes, now, I know there's yes. a Prius Prime. It's the same tech here, folks. The standard Prius is hybrid all the time, okay? The Prius Prime, you can charge it and use it as just an electric. Right. That right. technology has now found its way into the RAV4 Prime. Stay with me. Don't snooze yet. The RAV4 Prime in the RAV4 body shape with all-wheel drive. Honestly, the big thing that I think when driving this, besides the fact that it is, it's just a well-done execution of this generation of the RAV4. I just like that period. I liked the hybrid a lot. I actually have said before that I think the hybrid is the version to buy of the RAV4. If you want yes. to spend more money, you can get the, the, the prime version. And I have to say it is so well executed that it's compelling. I agree. If you're going to do it, I like the differenti differentiation between being able to choose. Yeah. yeah because yeah. you can plug it in. Now, it does have an eCVT. It does. Oh, yeah. Of course the it does. The premium package is $3,700, yeah. but it's the one you want. But get this. You don't think of RAVs as being powerful. This one has a 2.5-liter engine, mm -hmm. 302 combined horsepower. Mm -hmm. And the driving range on electric, of course, is affected by your foot because you're going to be surprised. Like, wow, yeah. this is kind of quick. It's pretty fast, yeah. And then it's you know cold weather or you're up a hill mm -hmm. or you just yeah. want to go fast. You're not going get to get the range. But combined, it's 94 EMPG or MPGE, yeah. which is 
pretty good. Yeah. And it's the size of a Jeep Grand Cherokee, kind of. It's same amount of interior space. I like the styling. I like the controls. They I like are the not seating small position. anymore. Yeah. They're not. And Jay Scranton also says it used to be a cute little 4x4 fun vehicle. See, you said cute, Jay. Yeah. You said cute. Mm, there it is. Now it's a mid-sized SUV. Why does every car have to get bigger at every new generation? And that is because product planners are involved. Mm. On the other hand, they're right. It well, needed to get bigger. Yes. I mean, they've made, they've made this a more viable, user, usable across the board. And I do genuinely like it. The, the other thing that happens is, I don't know if any of you listening, I'm sure, if you've bought a new car in the last probably 20 years, maybe going back farther than that, but certainly in the last 20 years, you've bought a new car, you were sent a survey. You were sent an owner <laughs> satisfaction survey. And somewhere on that survey was a question related to, would you like more space? Who doesn't want more space? And I don't care I what more car space in my coffee in. cup. You just think, yeah, you know, while we're at it, I could do with a little more space. And this is the reason that the Mini Cooper is no longer Mini. <laughs> because I guarantee you, I guarantee you that owners bought a Mini Cooper when they came back out in t- 2003 and got that ownership survey. And even though they bought a car whose name is Mini, and even though it was larger than the Mini prior, I guarantee yes, you yes. that overwhelmingly the survey said, I could do with more space. You do that over two or three generations, what happens? The cars aren't Mini anymore. This has happened to the RAV4 and everything. Everything grows. And then the other side that happens, look at the BMW lineup for an example. As the small car becomes a mid-sized car, the manufacturer goes, well, we should make a small car below that one now, shouldn't we? It leaves more space in the lineup. BMW discovered this. Yes. Everybody else is. Mm-hmm. I'm waiting for the BMW 0.5. I don't know what that is. It may be, it may be like half a car. It's like the Mitsubishi iMeve, but from BMW. There's a reference. Not a bad idea. If you don't know what the iMeve is, it looks like just a cockpit on wheels. That's pretty much what it is. <laughs> Mitsubishi still exists. They do, actually. <laughs> wow. Well, there's more news than this. The 2022 Subaru BRZ has been announced. We are very excited. I'm particularly excited because of power. I have said explicitly <laughs> yes, have. when that car was introduced, mm-hmm. I called it 1.0, version 1.0. Yeah. Leaving yeah. them room to create all the other versions. They just got it out there. And I think over time, they've been really listening to customer reactions. And here, Toyota is selling the Supra and the 86. Mm-hmm. Now, at this point, as of this recording, yeah, where's Toyota? The 86 has not been announced. Mm-hmm. So we think that maybe in some sort of partnership legal agreement, Subaru has been offered the chance to come out with their version first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It would be kind of strange if Toyota didn't come out with the 86. I hope they do shortly because I, I, I where mean, is it? I think it's a matter of time until Toyota I makes so. an announcement. I'm surprised that Toyota, here's the biggest thing I'm surprised by, is that Toyota has been entirely silent. Yes. I mean, I, yes. I, I would totally understand if they, they and they, I'm sure, I'm sure, I have no doubt that the legal team and the marketing team have talked. Between think? Subaru and Toyota. You and there's a very specific agreement about Subaru being the lead on this. Which is fine. But as we saw with the cool. first gen 86, the BRZ and the 86 have different front clips. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it would stand to reason that this car is going to come out under the Toyota badge as well as an 86 with a different front clip. But what I'm shocked about is that Toyota has actually said nothing. Nothing at all. We've heard nothing as of this recording. We've heard nothing from Toyota. We look forward to the 86. I'm very we look excited. To doing many things with it. Very excited about the yes. alternative version of this because I just want to see what Toyota's changes are. Toyota, if the last version was any indicator, Toyota will offer a totally different color palette than the Subaru options. Agreed. Yes. And yes. Uh, otherwise, it'll be about the same, but they'll have a different front clip. I'm quite excited about this car. And I will admit, I will admit, I have been the 86 evangelist for a long time on this podcast. I loved owning one. They just need more power. I still love them. I also made the comment that I was very concerned about them caving and going turbo. And I've already read some reviews of this BRZ, which is, let's be honest, it's been announced and journalists have ridden around in it. Nobody's driven this thing yet. True, true. Lots of specs are out. So we can we can extrapolate what it will be, but we haven't driven it. We were not at the launch event, but there's a lot of discussion already. All the directions of this car, I can't wait to drive it. I want to hear the the Toyota version. I'm thrilled they didn't go turbo, and I have read some commentary already. People are like, "We're disappointed it wasn't a turbo. It needs to not be a turbo. It needs to to differentiate itself." And because the best thing about that car, in spite of not having power, was the throttle response. 
the best yeah. power-related thing was okay. the throttle response. Okay, fair enough. Even though it didn't have the power I know you always hoped for, Paul, the throttle response is very granular. It's very immediate and granular, and you can tell changes with slight changes to your foot. Turbos create a wall of power that what you do with the right pedal is kind of irrelevant for like 3,000 RPM. Sure. Because it all just feels the same. And? <laughs> and you like that. I, I don't like that. And the I, problem would be? I know you don't. I know. All you the and power. I, you and I disagree there. But Bring the power. I am glad they kept it naturally aspirated, six-speed. I said it in our uh, Step Brothers piece. Mm-hmm. This is Toyota's, and it could be Super as well. This is Toyota's Miata. And if they do it right, this car could be around in 30 years. Indeed, yeah. Still being made, still being pure and, yeah. and good. And I was worried about them just throwing another turbo at it. Two and a two point four liter boxer with a nice increase in horsepower and torque, and we believe they've solved the torque dip. If they have, all my problems with the car will go out the window. I, because I here's the argument: there's older cars like Carmen Ghia's and three fifty six Speedsters, and all those cars that you think will. That's kind of the same recipe, just to add power. This chassis can take so much more power, it can, yeah. and they didn't give it. Yeah. So therefore, in my mind, they didn't give it its full potential. Fair. It fair, was fair. version 1.0. Mm-hmm. Now, here's version 2.0. Mm-hmm. 228 horsepower, more torque, 184 pound-feet of torque, and if the torque dip is indeed changed... Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Just, they haven't added weight to the car. Yeah, it's still supposed to be about 2,800 pounds, which might be a 50 Wonderful. or 60 pound increase yes. over the first version, which is fine. The, the big thing, when I had my FRS, we did some tuning videos. We're not tuners, but we did some tuning videos anyway. I did a, uh, a new header and a new exhaust, mm-hmm. and I did a, a flash with the open flash tablet. I, this is what I did to the car. By the time I was done, it was still naturally aspirated, and it didn't have a torque dip anymore. Right, and it was significantly right. better to drive than the stock version with the torque dip. You put and it's seventeens with the good tires, yes. and it came to life. It still wasn't powerful. This car is going to show up with the yes. option of good tires from the factory, with the potential for not only more power but no torque dip. I I think I think they may have actually had a second gen. This is the difficult second album, and they may have nailed it. They may have the difficult sophomore it's, it's, album. It's early, and I and I still want to see what's the Toyota version. I'm very well, excited. As a matter of fact, Connor Cook asks, "What style changes would we like to see Toyota do to differentiate this '86?" I want to see more, Connor. I want to see the rear canards that every Toyota product has, including the Supra. Oh, the ones that roll down from mm-hmm. the lights that go vertical. Yeah, okay, all right. Of course, a different wheel design, specific. Mm-hmm. I also want to see the blacked out roof. Really? I do. I don't. I want to see a blacked out roof. I want to see a blacked out lower grill and side intakes area so the paint kind of runs down just around the side to Mm. outline more texture and more of the intakes that are all black. They're charcoal and black. It's not just a solid black piece, but... Whatever the design is, I want to see a little bit more, you know, kind of purposeful motorsports kind of mm-hmm. blacked out intakes and that kind of thing. I think the blacked out roof could be really interesting, personally. See, I, I'm not about that, but okay. I like what it does to the, the Camry TRD. I like what it does to change the flavor of it. It's just a Camry and sure. it's got a blacked out roof. Kind of cool. Okay. I mean, the you Nissan are. Nissan Z is doing this. Yeah, but see, I don't Z. like it on the Z either. I you think and I, it's, this place I think you it's and I a disagree. better thing. We'll be curious, but those are the things that I want to see. I, uh, I'm very curious about that front end. I, I think the front end of this car has struggled. And I'm, I'm going back to the first gen. I okay. actually think the one I bought, the 2013, was the best-looking front end that car's ever had, and it only got worse from there. Because it went catfish okay. in the revision. Okay, fair enough. And yeah. the BRZ was always like wearing a mouth guard. And I never liked it as much as the the original version of the FRS. Right. But then once they went full catfish with the revised version on the eighty six, the BRZ now became the more attractive one. Sure, this sure. this looks so much like a Porsche seven one eight from the front. It, I feel like they had mm. a front clip of the mm. Porsche seven one eight sitting in the corner. That's and they flattery. Just kept That's high praise right there. It is, but I don't want it to look like that car. I want it to have its own. And this is going to sound weird. I used to joke when I had my FRS that I owned a teenager's car. And I'm fine with it. Sure. I'd sure. like a little more teenager flamboyant opening to the front end. A little more. Int- I don't want it to look like a 718. The back of it has some Lexus, but it also has some current NSX. And I think the rear of the car is fantastic. Really, really I think right. it is good. The front end is a little bit more bland to uh-huh. me, but it's resolved a lot. The prior car had a lot of character, which yeah. was great. Mm-hmm. And it's very distinctive. This has been... 
kind of smoothed out a bit and there's less character, but I think the surfaces more are more resolved. It's, it's not so jarring. It's it's a very grown up, refined Kinda design. I, I think it looks a lot like the seven one eight. So I'd like to see a slightly different front clip. Having said all of this, honestly, if the way the BRZ looks is exactly how the car is coming out, I'm ready to buy one. <laughs> this this may be the car that, that causes me to do that thing we encourage all you to do, and that is when somebody releases a sports car, go buy it to encourage manufacturers. You might go buy new, huh? I might go buy a new one of these just to raise my hand and be like, please keep doing this. Interesting. If, if, I, we haven't even seen it in the actual yeah, model yet, yeah. but I'm quite intrigued. Can you hear it in my voice? I'm excited to keep being <laughs> the evangelist of the 86 because – Wow, I'm so glad it's here. I'm so glad it's going to exist. Granted, they've just announced it, which means it probably won't be in dealerships for at least a year. You got to start saving your money. that in mind. Yeah, I need to. You've heard us talk about drive homework because it's vital to drive a lot of things when trying to find your next car. Knowing your options is important. This applies to online shopping, too. You don't want to search just one website unless that site is searching all of the other ones for you. That's why we love Auto Tempest. I know you've heard us talk about it before, and we hope you've already seen how far you can shop with just one search. Auto Tempest pulls from all the top used car sites at once, so you know you won't miss a deal on that perfect car. Autotempest.com. All the cars. One search. A couple of great debates for you. First, Brian K. is in the Northeast and wondering about what enthusiast car to get. Considers himself a car guy. And we've also got Rachel in Richmond, Virginia, writing... For a temporary cheap car. I saw that, yeah. We've got both of these. But first of all, diving into Brian's debate here. He says he's always considered himself a car guy, although except for one car he's ever owned, none of them are what you would call an enthusiast car. Okay. He said two Honda Civics, a 91, and a 2000. Both were stock, and neither were the fun SI trim, he says. 2000 was an EX with the VTEC, but, you know, he's... Not all there on the enthusiast thing. He said an 04 Volvo S60R. This is the, okay. the car he does consider an enthusiast car. Sure, sure, sure. 2012 yeah. Volkswagen Passat 2.5, which sucked. <laughs> That's his terminology. Now he has a high mileage accord. Such a good descriptor. He said all the cars were manual except for the Volvo, but he just considers them all plain. Mm-hmm. But he's really – he loves cars. And so he's reached that place where he's like, I want to actually go buy a actual enthusiast car. What do I do? He'd like it to be kind of unique. So he says no WRX. Okay, Ooh. all right. All right. Ooh. Okay. Fair. Fair fair. His budget is eight to twelve thousand dollars. All right. Which I think we can do. Yeah, I agree. Now get this. He doesn't mind keeping his current accord, so a second car is fine. He's in the northeast and he's in his mid twenties, but he also knows how to wrench on vehicles, so he doesn't mind the age of vehicles. Sure. That is sure. a key phrase here. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have a garage, so this thing would probably be kept in the elements, which makes owning a soft top a bit challenging. He said he'd get a hard top where he can. Before you even start shopping, get a cover from Covercraft yes. for the yes, elements. Absolutely. Yep. The end. Mm-hmm. Get a hard top, yes, but get a cover. Get a cover, for sure. So here's his thoughts. The 86, he came close to buying one, either BRZ or an FRS. Mustang, the Fiat 500 Abarth. Definitely a Miata, mm-hmm. another S60 or the wagon version, the S60 or V70R. An MGB is on this I list. I saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a curveball. And he has a question mark next to BMWs. Okay. I own a Z4. I sometimes have a question mark next to BMWs too. <laughs> anyway, yeah. That could be the vanity plate. <laughs> it just, just says a question, question mark. <laughs> it's pretty good. He's also contemplated dipping his toes into off-roading, and he says that seems to complicate the issue further, considering yeah, trucks. It's just one thing at a time. So where are we at? And again, one this thing is at a time, Brian. really the first, even though you have had a good enthusiast car, and I love that you are a car person. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you haven't owned one or not. It's irrelevant. It yeah. really is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, here, what we want on this show is we want you guys to have lots of driving experience in lots of great cars. And I actually think that the more cars you drive that are fun, the more you specifically will understand what you like about cars. It's really easy to have only driven mom's minivan. And trust me, that reality, I get it. You've only driven mom's minivan that was a hand-me-down and you lust after the big exotic cars because that has to be wonderful. I fully believe that between that single driving experience and the exotics, you can find a sweet spot you can afford that you love. But that doesn't mean you driving the minivan and right, bored right. aren't a person that loves cars and is a car enthusiast. So let's solve this for Brian. <laughs> Brian, you're going to laugh. When I skimmed your email at first, I didn't quite dig in, and I saw your sentence. He said, what car should I get as an auto enthusiast? And I thought, 
Brian, good for you. You're an automatic transmission enthusiast. I mean, good for you for step. <laughs> no. Oh, you mean for your. Okay, gotcha. So I backpedaled and reread, yeah. and then I yeah, thought, yeah. yeah, right. He's not an enthusiast of automatics. He wants a car exactly. enthusiast car. Yeah. Unlike my British neighbor, who find, has, he spotted my SLK. This yes. is the SLK guy in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. He has an 05. He always comes by when he sees me out in the garage yeah, working yeah, yeah. and has tried to convince me that the SLK was the lowest production car ever. As that's, in the lowest, that's coolest quite, sports car. That's quite wrong. And I said, nope, no, I don't agree with you. We're not going make? there. And he didn't like that. And then he didn't wave for a while for many months. And then finally we're friends make? again. How many thousands did they make? Half a million, I think. They made a lot. A lot. I mean, honestly, Supra is the first thing that springs to mind as a low-volume car. The like, 86. There's, there's a lot of – He said, no, no, no. He was looking at my Cayman. He's like, yeah, that's low, but the SLK is lower. And I said, no, no, yeah. it's not. Yeah, look that back up. And so he's been cool, okay. and he spotted my SLK, and I pulled over to chat. He waved okay. me down. Yeah, yeah, love it. And he said, wow, so you're finally converting, huh? It's like, well, this is you know, for our cheap car challenge, and you know, here's what we're doing. Uh-huh. You've probably uh-huh. seen Todd Z4 in the neighborhood. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I've seen it. And he said, so what transmission did you get? And I said, well, I found one with a manual. And he wrinkled his nose, and he said, ugh, I don't like the manual. And I went, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Excuse me? I'm sorry? The More things the, we don't agree on. The manual is the only best thing about this car, as a matter of fact. Let's be honest. It's the, 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 the moment you discovered you could get an SLK in manual – that I was, was the thing that put you over the edge yes. to go, I'm going to get an SLK. Yes. I love that he's like, why would you get a manual? We're so over here going, there demeanor. it is. He said, oh, I, got the, I got mine as a you know, 350 with the automatic. So much better. I'm going, you're an automatic transmission enthusiast? More, uh, I've hey, never met an automatic transmission it's enthusiast. Probably, it's probably better because it's more powerful. But sure. the, manual in, the manual in your SLK is a genuine surprise. It's a gem. Yeah, it's and a I genuine went, surprise. No, I don't agree. So I hope he keeps waving to me. We'll see. We'll see. Brian, I want to run through your list of things here, and I want to comment on your list, and then I want to add a curveball that I think might be your car. Okay. You said Subaru, BRZ, or Scion FRS. Yes, you could get one for twelve grand. Uh, what am I going to say other than yes, you'd like that car? Y- yes. That's a good option. It's not where I went for you, but it's a good option. Mustang, yes, solid. If you're going to drive Mustang, drive the Camaro. I actually think you might like the Camaro more. It's going to depend on the spec. Do you? But, the, but a well-dialed Camaro is a really surprising enthusiast car that is much more capable than people realize. Depends on the spec, but much more capable than people realize. So I think that's good. Fiat 500 Abart, absolutely. You should drive one if you can. I think you want rear-wheel drive. Indeed, yes. And yes, if yes. you're going to look at the Abarth, you need to drive the Fiesta ST. But I think both those cars shouldn't be your car because I think if you're buying just as a car enthusiast car, have the experience of rear-wheel drive. You haven't yet. That's the reason I'm pushing it because you haven't done rear-wheel drive yet. So let's let's get True. away from front-wheel drives. Let's True. get away from all-wheel drives. Let's do straight-up rear-wheel drives. I think those are off, Okay, which does put you in Miata land. Those are right out. They're right out. Five, sir. Three, sir. Anyway. <laughs> The Miata would work, but yes, now you're parking your convertible outside, which would be fine. Good cover, craft cover, you'd be fine. You could get a hard top for your Miata. Miata is always the answer. Yes, the joke is there. But I don't know that that's right. Please don't get another Volvo S60, the V70. They're good. They're, they're don't good. get another one. Well, but but you. Right. But that's the closest you got already. Agreed. Let's go Agreed. somewhere else. Agreed. MGB? Um, I Okay. This is I'm, exciting. I'm, I'm, about, MGB. I'm about to offend a cult. I'm about to offend a cult, okay? I've driven them. They have staggering amounts of space for a little car. They are large inside for they, the size they of the car they are. They are really, really roomy. It's weird. They are very nice. They feel much more classic than I think of what you're going for. See how I did that? Boy, that was delicate. And sometimes they're known to not run well. So you might be <clears> buying a project. Okay. And then okay. BMW... You get a Z4, but I'll be flat out honest with you. I think there's better steering elsewhere. So now we've got you into like a coupe. Yeah. And I don't think that's focused sports car enough. So I'll drift away from BMW real quick. Do you want me to reveal the car I think is it? Or you want to go first? Do it. Do it. Brian, um, I think you need to buy a C5. That's the fifth generation Corvette. Really? Yes. For eight to $12,000? Yes. Go get one. Now, Now, hang That's on. I'm going to stop for a second. 2020, because 2020 has been a madhouse, has seen a 
how do I put this delicately? Explosion in prices of used cars. That's the most delicately I could put it. Right, right, right. They've all gone up. So um, you may be listening to this in six months, and hopefully the world has calmed down and become normal. But right now, used car prices are more than they should be. So we'll see. Uh, so C5's Cor- Corvettes may be problematic. But honestly, we've been looking about the fact that you could get – I know it's above your budget, but just follow me for a second. 15 to 18 could get you a nice Z06. True, which is astounding. That could have changed. So it may well. have changed, but I think a C5 Corvette – the parts are available. You can work on it. And I, here's a, this is going to sound weird. I just imagined you buy a C4 Corvette or a C5, either one of those generations, should be in your budget, and you park it outside for the winter, and it's fine with it. Sure, sure. You just put a cover on it. It starts when you want to start. And if it doesn't start, the parts are simple, and the working on it is simple. True, true. I like I that. think you need a Corvette. Hmm. I like the... The fact that you're in your mid-20s and you'd be driving a Corvette. I do like that. Why not? I agree. And that it's is not, nice. And he doesn't have to drive it all the time. He has the Accord for whatever else. But hopefully you drive it a lot. But then you, but you're going straight to everything you haven't had. Rear-wheel drive, American V8. Sure. sure. Okay. Let's do that. Okay. I take that. That's excellent. I'm echoing Todd's pounding on the 86 and Miata as yes, 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 yes. They're great Owning enthusiast car doesn't mean you have to get a usual suspects. True. true, You don't have to go get a usual suspects car. Yeah. 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 And also an enthusiast car means you have to like it Mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be the best handling car ever. Although that should be a goal you want to achieve. True. 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 But it doesn't have to be a Miata. It doesn't have to be the the pinnacle of handling just to qualify as an enthusiast car. Mm -hmm. If you like it and it's fun to drive, guess what? The end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, you also, like I said, you've got to like it, but you've got this accord here, which means you have an opportunity as a person who does like to wrench, is open to it, and can wrench on something a little bit older and is mm-hmm. not afraid of it. Fair point, fair point. Especially yeah. with the budget means you might be doing a few things yourself, but you're going to be sure. learning like For crazy. Sure. yeah, yeah. Which is good. I will say yes to Miata in 86, but we'll, we're putting those aside. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. Your MGB opened up this can of worms in my head. Uh oh. Because I saw that and I thought, you well, you're open to old things. That's sure. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. And I immediately thought of nine forty fours. I wondered if you'd go there. Immediately yeah. thought yeah, 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 yeah. They, they are such a great place to begin. They are for I sure. I thought of our cheap sports car challenge going on right now. Mm-hmm. That second video has actually just dropped on YouTube yes, right now. Yep. And we found both those cars with Auto Tempest and we installed power stop brakes on them. Mm-hmm. The cars are running great. We've got many more videos. And the, both better tires them, are coming. Both of them were cheaper than your budget range. They were they under are. eight grand. So yeah. that was my natural starting place. I thought, sure. SLK or BMW Z4. I <laughs> thought about. We have them in the drive. <laughs> yeah. I was like, here you go. I thought of the GTO that we talked about. I thought about sure. the Pontiac Solstice in the sky. Yes, those are, the, those are compelling. They're, and they're, and they're not cheap. usual suspects. You right. end up with the Miata experience, but not the car everybody expected. On our recent California road trip, we saw a Phi Series, an E28. Yeah. And I thought, okay, that's probably handled pretty well. It's not the hottest sports car no, ever, but it was no, no. really nice. And you could tell it was somebody's pride and joy. They'd wrenched on it and it was great. It was, I, gra- it was great. You, you could, you you could see problem it with my the badge. face. I have a rant coming. Yes. The, the badge on the back actually said E28. They took off the designation yeah. of what it came from on the factory and they built out of BMW letters a badge that said in the corner E28, which I had to read twice. And then it dawned on me, you have rebadged your car with the chassis code, which goes, I'm sorry, I'm ranting, yeah. goes back to the thing I said before where I think. Think we're all talking chassis codes to exclude people from conversation. Right, right, right. Ugh. Right, you don't have to do that. But anyway. clearly, this was a very well-kept, it was an enthusiast car. Absolutely. It was the five series from it was 81 to 88. So it was really, that. It was genuinely really cool. It was older, and I Except thought. Except for the badge. <laughs> I wanted to, like, flick it off. Like, can I? Oh, <laughs> oh, come on. Like, oh. digging with his fingernails. I thought, hey, cool, an enthusiast. Keeping it nice. Keeping everything going for the rest of us. That's yeah. great. An enthusiast car can be tiny, like a Suzuki Cappuccino. Those are tiny. Those are really be, tiny. Again, you've got the Accord. This mm-hmm. is not your only car. Fair point. Fair point. Yeah. And I love your Corvette idea, but I am going to be the foregone conclusion guy. Okay. If you get one with a hard top and you can buy them with hard tops, and that is a Boxster for yeah. $12,000, yeah. this is why. It's a mid-engine, rear-wheel drive, mm-hmm. one of the best handling cars, and they're cheap. They're very cheap. Now, parts are out everybody's there. screaming, they're going to be so expensive and it's a money pit. Not necessarily. They can be, mm-hmm. 
but you're willing to wrench, which means the the forums, the community, it's huge. Yeah. If you yeah, get yeah. one for eight, and okay, that's on the yeah. low end of your budget, and you can start allocating dollars to do the upgrades and yeah, yeah, get yeah. to know this car and kind of set it up and get to know a mid-engine platform, now is the time to do it in your life. I'm excited for you that this could be a possibility. And the boxers with a hard top kind of came in like, kind of. A little of. bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. What if you found a branded title Cayman and you worked mm, on it yourself? You're going that way. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. I do want the Porsche badge for you. I do want something. I know you're in your mid-20s and so the insurance company is going to say, Porsche, here's yeah. your bill. If it's old enough, I, you'll get around it. But, but yeah. Again, if you go back 15, 20 years, mm-hmm. go 986, just the chassis First alone. First gen Boxster. Be, yeah. Just get it to a running place where it's close to stock and just start enjoying it and then yeah. figure out what you want to do. But get to know that mid-engine rear-wheel drive kind of feel. I, I do like that. That, that. that taps into the thing we're talking about with these cheap sports cars right now. We just, as you said, dropped our fix-it video. But there's also stuff in both these cars that we know we could keep fixing. Right. And we've stopped. Right. You, you get it to a place where you can drive it. We've got a huge monster road trip piece coming up. We did like 2,000 miles in those cars. We went a long way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was after doing the base fixes you see in this fix-it video. And we both came away going, yeah, you know, money, no object. I'd do this and this and this right. and this. In addition, right. but we didn't. We just thought, let's just go drive them. So you're right. There is a place of just it works and it runs and it's reliable and I like it. That is a whole different list than everything I've ever wanted to do I've done to this car. <laughs> right. And the, you don't have to go yeah. that far. You don't. I, I like yeah. your 944 idea, and I do see your Boxster for sure. The best news ever is that the lock button on the instrument panel of the SLK popped back out <laughs> because I pushed it thinking, I'll just try and see. And it stuck in because of, of soda that ran down the of, front of the of instrument panel. Of course it did, yes. And it stuck there, and I was like, oh, no, it's going to be there forever. And you can't pry it out because it was flush with the panel. <laughs> and eventually it went just, and it just it did. It kind of <laughs> boom. Pop back out, so I'm free and clear. I'm never touching that button again. That and the uh, and the and the ooze out of the top. Oh, the top ooze. We don't know what that it's is. It's yellowish and it sloshes around in the top mm-hmm. panel. And then when it, you corner hard, left or right, it drips on you. It drips out of the corners onto the seat. It's awesome. I don't have that problem with my car, except the other day I did actually have the Z4 out in the extreme cold, and I just thought as a joke because I was picking up my son. I thought I'm going to lower the top, and I hit the button and the top didn't move, and I went, uh oh. Uh, and, then, and then it warmed up and it worked. So the, the, the problem that I keep having is I keep buying these cheap cars from really warm places and bringing right, them here. And I right. think they just reject it. They're just like, I'm sorry, exactly. but no. The takeaway is warmth. Keep your cars in a heated garage or use a hairdryer or something. <laughs> or don't buy a car that's used to having 100,000 miles of it's really hot here and bring it to some place where it's like, and now it's zero. If you park outside during the cold months, you know, overnight at home or while you're at work, you need a car cover from Covercraft. We recommend the Custom Weather Shield HP Car Cover. It's designed for dramatic water dispersion while still being breathable and really lightweight. It has superior paint finish protection, too. On the underside, it's less abrasive than flannel. Our cars are an investment, from our personal fun cars, our own cars, and SUVs, all the way to our cheap sports cars. Covercraft is focused on protecting the car or SUV or truck that you love, too. When you're shopping at Covercraft.com, remember to use the code every day to get a 10% discount plus free shipping. Follow the link from our sponsors page or go directly to Covercraft.com for high-quality covers that keep your car protected and looking its best. Car debate number two is from Rachel B. in Richmond, Virginia, who writes to us and says her husband listens to the podcast. Hello, Rachel's husband. He's going, honey, you're on the podcast. I guarantee you right now. There's, yes. there's, either, there's either a text conversation or running through the house happening right now. You're on the podcast. Yeah. So Rachel, by proximity, listens occasionally. Now, he's written to us before and has been trying to find a car that he would love for years now. He finally found it in a 2015 BMW i3 REX. Mm, okay. He pushed it for the gas savings while commuting, but she has ended up liking the acceleration, the quietness, and the tech. Apparently it's super usable and turns well. I this is this, this is, is the electric car that I have debated multiple times. I haven't ever pulled the trigger, but I have debated it quite a few times. Keep going. After a few months with the car, they've sold it. 
they are moving from Richmond, Virginia to Toronto, and they're going to end up going down to one car when they move. Mm -hmm. The I-3 couldn't make the drive back to the States, so it had to go. Plus, it gives them an extra $12,000 for moving and getting set up in Canada. What I love about this story, though, as Rachel goes on, is this is one of those things where they went, well, we are moving in the spring and winter's coming. And so let's let's list the car because it'll probably take a while to sell. And then boom. boom and they went, uh, um, uh, we're not moving Extra for a few money. months. How do we get around? And we don't have a car we need. <laughs> yeah, they they thought, well, it might not sell, but it did. So it'll mostly used for commuting, this new car that they're going to get in the interim. Because they need something until yeah, May. The, the holdover car. Yes. It would be nice that if it were better to drive than their other car, which is a Ford C-Max with 170,000 miles. Rachel, that's a low bar. So we're, so we're talking about a commuter. You're up to not one, Exactly. Rachel. We're talking about a commuter that is better than the Ford C-Max, but is cheap enough to be a holdover car. They're, they're essentially buying a winter beater. Indeed. They're buying it now, and they're selling Indeed. it in the spring when they move because the I-3, apparently, there was, in, there was a market for it, and it went. So now they've got to buy something <laughs> quick that they can use in the interim, and they want to stay under seven grand. This is straight-up winter beater shopping right here. Together, they have owned a 2010 Miata, a 2010 Honda Accord, and an 08 Volkswagen Beetle. Okay. He has talked about Mini Coopers, but that's about as far as he's gone. Okay. So what are our suggestions Rachel also wrote back and included a budget, and they would like to stay under $7,000. Ideally, this could be a car that would be turned around and sold without too much depreciation. Hopefully. Well, you already saw that with your i3. As soon yeah. as you sell whatever you get, it's going to be, boom, it's gone again. So I don't think you're going to have any problems. There's one car, Rachel, that I want you to look at. Really? One. Okay. There's many, but one. I have a few. I have a few here. I like your Mini Cooper. That's fun. I but agree. Whatever it is, I want it to be kind of... Useful and fun and maybe manual, and you can beat on it. Yeah. And yeah, it'll yeah. sell for about the same price as you bought it. Totally agree. I think there's one. It's a Honda Fit with a manual. Oh, look at you. The Fit. That's a, that's a good one. It's delightful. That's, it's that's roomy. That's a really good beat one. Beat on it. Stuff it full of stuff. Yep. Take it on your road trip. Take yep. it to Canada. Don't take it to Canada. Sell it. <laughs> Buy it. <laughs> Fits for everyone. Fits for everybody. I like it. Get it with a manual. Don't get it with a manual. Get it with an automatic. Buy a fit. They're so useful, and you can chuck them around. That's, you know what? I didn't expect you to go there. I didn't see that coming, and yet I think you may have nailed it. I'm still going to go through my list for a heck of it. But honestly, Rachel, Honda Fit is compelling. Paul's Seven grand. All, I'm almost going to just stop talking, but <laughs> Boom, I can't stop talking because it's not how I work. The, I do love the Mini idea. I had an R53. You probably remember. Spot the Mini. He ran. Yep. He was great. He was a fun little winter car. My only, my literally, my only downside with Spot the Mini was I realized I don't really want to own a front wheel drive car. But there was nothing wrong with it. Mm -hmm. I really liked it. I liked it the day I sold it. Spot was fun. So nothing wrong with a Mini. You know what you can get for cheap? Saab 92X. Oh. <laughs> you can. Of course. You can't get a WX. But he, I was trying to think about the fact you have a car for the true, winter. True. It's all wheel drive. Get, get an arrow. The other thing about the Saab It has the STI steering rack, Rachel. It does. There, that's, it, I'm actually looking for an STI steering rack. There's a Saab 92X right there's there. There's a car with that there screw it to it. So it, it is cheap. And the thing is, those are cars that people have to know about. If you listen to this podcast, you've heard at least once. But <laughs> at least. it's bound to sell for what you buy it for because they're already stupid, stupid, stupid cheap. Stupid cheap. So there's that. I was thinking about your i3 and I thought, wait a minute. I wonder if I can get something that is in a similar vein to the i3. Okay. That you can compare and contrast. A salvage title, I3? Uh, no. A first gen Chevy Volt. A Volt? Are, are, are they $7,000? Yes. They yes. are. I looked and there are multiple. Then we should all have Volts. Almost. The, now, it's front wheel drive. It doesn't have the dynamics of the i3, but it is an alternate idea of the same concept. Yeah. So the you commuter? could get a cheap Chevy Volt. If this is your commuter car, it's going to be better than your Ford C-Max, which, as you established, Paul, is a low bar. I'm not sure that's notch one. I think it's, that's like notch half. It, it's, it's half a notch. You have a car. Well done. 170,000-mile C-Max is car. It's car. So anyway, Yay. but Chevy Volt is an alternative to what you had. I don't think you're going to like it as much as the i3, but and I don't think you're going to like it as much as the Honda Fit, now that I think about it, which leads me to my wild card. Okay. Because I think you can buy it. For, I know you can buy it for cheap. You can sell it for the same. And it would just be fun in the interim. A Lotus Elise? No. Oh. Fiat 500 Abarth. That's fun. Why not? Yes. Just get, especially considering this isn't a car that you're, you're feeling like you have to keep forever. 
Buy oh. it and just enjoy it for six months. Put Rachel, winter tires on it if you need to. Rachel, when it farts on the upshift, you're going to yeah. giggle and you're going to laugh. It is. And this is your car. This is honestly. I like of, that a lot. It's one of the best sounding stock exhausts we've ever, we've ever come across. It's just fun. It's and, great. And it has that, because they are so cheap, it has that almost disposable try-anything nature as the Honda Fit, but it is more dynamic to drive. Yeah. Now, the Fit, you could, you know what you could almost do? You could almost not rent the U-Haul and just move in the Honda Fit. The Bart's not going to do I that. I do like the noise, especially with like a wastegate or something on the turbo. Well, so it doesn't go, matter. Just, zip, just the stock version is super boom, fun. Boom, and you're we, gone. We've been, in, we've been in downtown areas before where we're like, what is that sound? That sounds really cool. What is that? And, is that and we're fur- standing there for a minute, and then it comes around the corner. Like oh, it's the Bart. Of course it is. It's the Bart. Fur Bart. Yes. So anyway, so that's my wild card. So I, I think after all of that needless discussion for twenty minutes. No, seriously, I think it's your Honda Fit or the five hundred Bart. That's it. Rachel, let us know. I love all the questions. Thank you for the detailed and mm-hmm. very curated and very thoughtful questions. There's no way we can get to all of them, but we got to dive in somewhere. First of all, Alan S. is on Facebook asking, with the way manufacturers are packaging options like high-intensity discharge or LED headlights into mm-hmm. the top-tier packages, the trim packages, do we foresee the aftermarket industry continuing to gain strength for that workaround? By the way, people buy cars specifically and look for them with lighting packages already on them. You yeah. buy used cars that way, and if it doesn't have that lighting package, boop, it's off. Sometimes, yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, an example, Alan's wife wanted a Grand Cherokee, but none in their price range came with the HID setup. So he contacted a friend that has a shop, had him do a conversion. I know a guy. I, I got a guy. You got a guy, yeah, for sure. 200 bucks, and it avoided having to go to the limited or higher package. There you go. If that's what you're looking for, yes, you can upgrade the parts, and there's, that's what the entire SEMA catalog is based on. That show is based on parts <laughs> specifically to satisfy this. SEMA exists because we can do that after you buy the car. It, we can we can do it that, really too. It really does. Yeah. You can upgrade it past what the manufacturer mm-hmm. actually adds. Mm-hmm. They do yep. it to still within a price price bracket for that trim level. Yeah. But you can go nuts. That's the beauty of customizing your car. And yes, I think that's a great way of doing that. But to your point, will the aftermarket industry continue doing this? Yes. There's money to be made in customizing your car. Everybody loves to have some little thing they've done to their car Mm -hmm. that makes it theirs. And I do not see that going away ever. Isaac Pollock asks a question about when do you draw the line while purchasing a used car? With mods from the previous owner. He says it's because he's shopping for Hondas from the 2000s and he can't find anything close to stock. Everything's had stuff done, to your point about there's always stuff that you can do. Apparently, people are throwing me SEMA parts catalog at Hondas, so he can't find one. So Isaac's asking, where's the tolerance level? Honestly, Isaac, this is a personal thing about what are you willing to tolerate from, from the prior owner that you're willing to have when you buy it already on the car. I'm going to give you personal experience on this, and that is with my Lotus. When I bought it, it had multiple things done, but they were all things that I knew enough about researching Lotuses for a long time that there were things that I actually would think about doing to the car. I think mm. that and, – and everybody's going to be different. But I think if what's been done to the car either solves known issues or improves known realities with the car, and there's like – you look at it and you go, well, of course you did that, mm-hmm. whatever that list mm-hmm. is, then get that car like that. If somebody's gone nuts and there's a bunch of things on it that you don't want – I'll tell you another one. When I bought my 92X, it had an aftermarket exhaust on it. I negotiated less money and hadn't put the stock one back on because I didn't want it. Mm, yeah. Okay. Right, so right. the question here is what are the things that you look at on the list and you go, oh, yeah, yeah, all that stuff makes sense, but then buy that car. Don't buy one that you're like, I wouldn't do half that stuff because I think you're going to wind up with a car that you like less as a result. Caller Colin on Instagram says, how do you correct the, quote, Mm. I don't need winter tires because I have all-wheel drive and four-wheel drive, quote, thought process. How do you correct this in friends? He recently heard this from a friend and was taken aback. My question to you is, did you ask them why they thought that way? Where, Where did that line of thinking come from? It's the same kind of thinking that we've been pushed to change your oil every 3,000 miles. That's to make the company's money. That's because Jiffy Lube needs you coming back. It's not yeah. because your owner's manual stated that or mm-hmm. it's actually good for your car. You're kind of wasting money. I've heard of the stories. I know you guys have too, but the brake or sorry, the power steering flush doesn't really need to be done all that often. And dealers will do this. They just, this is an upcharge. This is how they make money. Now, in this sense, 
it kind of translates over. If you've heard that and that is the general thinking, have you asked that friend, where does that come from? Why do you think that? Because when you're under braking and you're trying to turn the wheel while you're braking, there's no power going through your wheels. So it doesn't matter if two are turning or four are turning yeah. or one is turning. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah, braking grip is going to be key. What happens with the contact patch? Mm-hmm. That surface with your tires is what matters the most, not how the car makes power. So mm-hmm. until they're in an accident, I hate to say it. That's awful. That yeah. might not change their thinking. You can argue it up one side and down the other, but braking times are drastically reduced your steering and your handling is greatly improved just with winter tires. And that's not on snow. That's in cold weather. If it gets cold enough. See, that's, that is the only caveat I want to say here, Cutler, is you haven't told us where you are. Okay? If I was in California and driving around in California and went to the mountains now and then, I wouldn't put winters on. I agree. Because, Fair enough. Okay. It's, it's hanging out at 50 degrees in the quote-unquote winter in California, and I'm going to go up to Mammoth, and it's going to be snowy up there. Don't put winters on mm-hmm. because I'll, mm-hmm. I'll tell you the flip side. Our shooter, as you all know, Chance, he has a 911 right. that he drives year-round. Right. He puts on, because it's fun to say, the Nokian Hacapolitas. Those Good are his job. winter tires. It's super fun to say. Well done. He, he puts those on in the winter. And my password. He, exactly. He um, – it isn't actually, but he, he's argued about the fact that he loves them in the snow, and they are. If you if you look up like comparisons, who wins in full on snow? It's always the Hackapolitas. They are killer. They are. The problem is because they're so focused on snow. When it's not snowy, and he comes up across a day that happens to be forty five, he's like, these really are too soft for just buzzing down the freeway. But they're amazing. In real snow. So if you've got a person that is saying this and they never actually see snow and the temperatures rarely get below 40, they're probably fine on their all seasons. If you're living – because you haven't told us. You live in a place where it's cold here and we're going to get snow. Then Paul's point is the right one, and that is the minute they have to stop all of a sudden on mixed conditions, they're going to wish they had the winners. Ben Sherman asks on, on Facebook, he says, what's a better buy? This could be a 20-minute conversation. A BMW E46 – or the 86 chassis for $20,000. How much time do y'all have? Yeah, exactly. The, the thing is, look, the E46, I'm going to go away from chassis designations because, yeah. The E46 is the early 2000s 3 Series BMW. The E46 generation, this is early mid-2000s generation M3, is thought by most people to be one of the best M3s ever. Mm-hmm. You can get the four-door in what's called the ZHP package, which has the same engine I have in my Z4. It's a right. wonderful engine. It's very nice to drive. The problem is that car is quite a bit older than the 86. So you haven't said if you want an M3. I think an M3 E46 M3 for um, 20 grand would be a bit of a find that's going to need things. My True. second question yeah. for you, Ben, yeah. is... What money do you have to do stuff to these cars? I think that the 86 for 20 grand is going to be put gas in it, oil in it, tires on it, and drive it. The 46 is going to say, excuse me, sir, I need this. What's your tolerance for budget and time to do that? Yeah. Speed Schubert just recently purchased a car from out an out-of-state Lexus dealership, and they did not ship the title with the car. Apparently, they've been giving them the runaround for five months, blaming it on COVID. What do you what do you do? What happens five here? Five months? Five months is not okay. And I hmm. five days, maybe five weeks, five I, months, and you don't yeah. have the title? I hate to involve anything having to do with legal anything. I would think that the car enthusiast community would take care of each other and mm-hmm. you know, they would understand, but five months, that's not okay. You've got to get that title. And I, I hate to invoke any sort of because it costs everybody time and money and all that stuff. And hassle and stress. And it these is. Things, yeah. It's all of that stuff. But if you have exhausted all your resources by calling the general manager of the dealership and explaining if, if they have their money and they've been paid in full, mm-hmm. whether yeah, that be yeah, yeah. through a loan or you've paid yeah. them off in full, they've got their money. I believe they're obligated to send you the title. They should be, yeah. That's a common practice that the title is always shipped separately. That's yeah, very common. That doesn't surprise me at all. But to not send it five months after you've bought the car, well, what are you doing? Are, are you driving sitting, around on temporary tags or have those expired? Your, well, but he probably can't get temporary tags. That's right. the thing I keep thinking. You've got to show the title to get your tags. Right. You, so you've is got it to sitting get in this. your driveway? What's going on? Yes. It, it's going all the way to the top. I hate to say it, but you've got to start with the general manager and, and go on from there. 
And I think, honestly, the step beyond that is you have to call, even though it was a used car, you have to call the manufacturer and be like, hello, this dealer won't give me the title to my car. Yeah. And then it's legal action. It could get ugly fast. Let's yeah. hope it doesn't Hopefully go there. Hopefully not. Yep. Tony Salas says, what's the best automatic transmission out of the following? The 86 chassis, the 370Z, or the Genesis Coupe? The Genesis is third. Sounds like somebody's shopping. Yeah, the Genesis is third. It's it's the worst of those automatic transmissions. I'd agree with that. I haven't driven an Auto 86 or an Auto 370Z back-to-back. The We've auto, driven both of them. It's been a while. We've driven both. It's been a while. The Auto 86, honestly, is one of the better six-speed autos with paddles out there. It genuinely is very good. But I remember feeling that way about the 370. I haven't driven them back-to-back. I think I the question the here is... the 370 being pretty good. Yeah. Which of those cars do you prefer? Because I think they are close enough in comparison that you, you could go either way, depending upon the car you prefer. The 86 being significantly lighter than the 370, I think it feels a little more involving. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I don't think the transmission is going to hold you back either place. Bobby Rambib is asking, when learning to drive manual, when is too soon for a track day? Mm. You've got to evaluate your own abilities. And when we've been to track days, the organizer of the track event, if it's not NASA or another sanctioning body, you know, will say, should we get our cars inspected? And the answer is, you guys are the one in your cars. If you're confident being out there with mm-hmm. a car on track and you know it's going to brake well and steer well and it's going to be safe, have at it. But if not, you're the only one that can evaluate that. So you've got to kind of think back to your own abilities and can you upshift and downshift smoothly, successfully and not miss it every time and quickly and quickly. I'm not saying you need to be able to be an expert at heel and tone. You don't even need to know how not at all. But if you let the clutch out on a lower gear coming hot into a corner, you're going to lock up the rear axle, Mm -hmm. which means you're going to induce slide, which means you're going to be out of control. So if you can get the car in control and you can downshift smoothly and you can match engine speeds, again, you don't have to know how to heel and towing, mm-hmm. how to heel and tow, but you have to be able to upshift and downshift smoothly and keep the car in control and balanced. Yeah. Because yeah. wrong shifting at the wrong time or missing a gear could upset the car's balance. And that is the biggest thing mm-hmm. when you're track driving is balance. You're managing your tire patches. Mm-hmm. That's really you're balancing the car around the corners at high speed or low speed. Yeah. It's really what you're doing. If it upsets the car and it makes it lurch and, well, now you're shifting the weight on the tires. Mm. So at high speed, that's a problem. Lower speed, that's not as much of a problem. I would also ask, what's your track experience? You haven't clarified that. With True. Us. That's a good point. I, I think the other thing that happens on tracks a lot, I remember the last time I took the, uh, the Lotus out to track, I think I downshifted. I think I shifted twice per lap. Don't don't right, think about sure. the fact you're going to be on track and you're going to be sh- I'm going to be shifting all the time. It depends on the track I, I, too. Not, you might, Some tracks are third gear and fourth gear, and that's you might it. get into third and be done. Yeah, I'll true. give you a, I'll give you a crazy one. The Nurburgring, most cars can do all of the ring in third gear. Right. Yeah. There's a couple places I can think. The main straight you're going to need to go up. There's there's the slowest corner on the track you're going to need to go down, but you're never going to see first ever. Right. I'm going to do this. This lap's going to take me 10 minutes because the average person, it's going to take you 10 minutes. Throw out your ring times. The average person is going to take 10 minutes. I'm going to shift twice in 10 minutes mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. the ring. Okay. So your average track, I don't think you're going to be shifting that often. To Paul's point is key. You need to be smooth and predictable, even if, even if you yes. do shift slowly. Yes. Important. So if you feel like you are able to be consistent in your shifting, then go out and try a track day. And don't don't stress about, did, should I have downshifted there? Did you get around the track carefully? Did you get around the track safely? Right. Did you stay in third the whole time? Okay, you're right. You know what? You should have shifted down between second and third corners, but you're fine. Yeah, right, right. Damon Dickon says, have you ever damaged your car in front of your friends? <laughs> <laughs> that hmm. is every Mustang video ever. Damon was not, he was not sure his clutch was spo- supposed to smell like barbecue. I'm not sure clutches are supposed to smell like barbecue. I, I that uh, that would be pleasing. Clutch smell is often far worse than that. He says after holding on a hill while while a friend was trying to figure out where he was going to park before he mm. could pull in, that's what happened. The car still works fine, so he's hoping it's not damaged too badly. Once or twice, things happen to clutches. Yeah. They can take some abuse. Yeah. Yes, it takes the life out of them, but clutches take abuse. We know that. True. The cars that our commuter cars have original clutches with 200,000 miles on them. You just you know, commuted. They were never driven hard. <laughs> but with the handbrake, 
you can only do this with a mechanical handbrake. The new yeah. e-brakes, I've tried it. You can't because the electronics override you and it doesn't like it at all. Mm-hmm. But with a mechanical handbrake, that technique of doing your own hill hold, so you're holding yourself in place with yep. the handbrake. Absolutely. And That's as you start to, to feel the clutch engage, you're rolling off the handbrake as you roll onto the throttle and let the clutch out. That is an art. It's almost as satisfying as a good heel and toe. It is as satisfying. It's When you get that right, you feel like you really do something right. But it is really frustrating to not have a mechanical handbrake on a modern car and not be able to do that. Yes. I totally hear yes. that. Hold yourself in place. Pull the handbrake. That way you're off the brakes with your right foot. Mm-hmm. And then you can modulate the throttle and the clutch and then roll off. So you're releasing the handbrake. It's hand a fantastic balance on. move. Yeah. My dad taught me that early on, and I've always used it. And yeah. it's, it's the hill hold technique. But you got to have a handbrake. Peter Renslow asked this question. It's almost a, it's almost a lightning round question because it's quite simple. If you don't need the practicality of back seats or cargo space, is there any reason to pick a hot hatch over a two-seat sports car? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Thank you so much for your questions, guys. We really appreciate them more than we can answer in this round. But keep asking and keep writing to us. Your Topic Tuesdays, your car conclusions, and most of all, your car debates to EverydayDriverTV at gmail.com. Or you can find us at EverydayDriver.com. The second tab over is the YouTube channel selector. Mm -hmm. And you can choose from the Test Drive channel and our main channel. So two of those to choose from. We just dropped a piece. Look, follow along with me for a second. We just dropped a piece on the Test Drive channel on the brand new Toyota Sienna minivan. Now... (laughs) <laughs> Please keep listening. Don't change the channel. There's not another podcast that you need to get to quite right now, quite right now because I challenge all of you to go watch that that piece on the minivan because you and I had genuine fun. We did. We had great fun. It has 800 horsepower, all-wheel drive. <laughs> it's turbocharged and supercharged. It has none of that, and we still it's, we laughed. We still had fun with it, yeah. Guys, thank you so much. We're looking forward to next time. Cheers, everyone. 